Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on the hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, happy Monday and welcome to Coindesk TV. You are watching the hash. I am Zach Seward. We have Jen Sanasi, Will Foxley, and Wendy O. We are going to get you up to speed on all that's going on in the world of crypto. You guys ready for this thing? Let's do it. I'm starting off the first story of the day. Friday, Sam Bankman-Fried got his bail revoked and was shown to a jail cell. We are joined now by a special guest to help us unpack the latest development and its significance. Joining us is Ira Lee Sorkin. He's the former attorney for Bernie Madoff and a current partner at Mints and Gold. Ira, how are you today? Good. Thank you. So first of all, top, I just want a high level informed perspective on this SBF thing. You've seen some major cases play out in your day. Is there anything that is especially striking or notable about the SBF case here and now? What are your high level thoughts? High level thoughts, the media interest. Next question. (laughs) All right, let's do it. All right, next up. Next up, media interest. All right, so he's in jail now. He's waiting for his October uh, court date behind bars. You gave a similarly concise uh, comment to Coindesk back in December saying that Sam Bankman-Fried should, quote, just shut up already. Maybe, sorry, I, that's, I paraphrased you, but basically it was shut up. Those were the two words of advice that you provided to Sam Bankman-Fried. I don't think he took that because the judge said he was really pushing the envelope uh, with his communications with various witnesses. Is that still the piece of advice that you would share to Sam Bankman-Fried if you were his counsel now? Absolutely. I mean, there's no need There's no need for him, once he was uh, made bail, for him to discuss the case, to uh, share his thoughts about the case with any party other than his counsel. Uh, and quite frankly, uh, the amount of documents, and I say this with the understanding that uh, Minson Gold uh, does not represent anyone in this case. We certainly don't represent Mr. Bankman Freed. We don't represent any witnesses. We are not involved in the case. But the standard uh, conduct that uh, every defendant who makes bail is told do not discuss the case, 
Don't discuss it with any potential witnesses. Don't discuss it, certainly with the press. The only person you should talk to is your counsel. And there are ways to deal with other witnesses in the case, such as through counsel and a process called a joint defense agreement, where the lawyers can talk to one another pursuant to an agreement, and it protects the attorney-client privilege, and it gives the opportunity for all counsel in the case, whether they are defendants or unindicted co-conspirators or conspirators, uh, to be able to share information amongst the lawyers without their clients being present. So those are the general rules. There's nothing unusual about this particular case. When uh, Sam Blankenfried made uh, bail, he was specifically instructed not to discuss it with anyone, discuss the case with anyone. Don't discuss it with any potential witnesses. Don't share what you uh, uh, are given in the way of the mandatory discovery that the government's required to give to all defendants. Um, and of course, we have another situation going on uh, in uh, Washington, D.C. and in uh, uh, the Southern District or the Middle District of Florida, I think it's the Southern District of Florida, where a, a rather prominent individual was given the same instruction uh, by the judge. It's standard, and that's the way it's done. If you violate the bail conditions, which uh, Mr. Blankenfried violated according to the judge, then he faces the consequences, and the consequences are jail. Uh, my understanding is that he's going to appeal it. Uh, he's got a very good lawyer representing him. Uh, and they're going to appeal it. But uh, the chances of him getting out pending the trial, uh, I think, are very slim. These are decisions made by the district court judge, who happens to be a judge of many years, very well respected, very smart. And uh, the Court of Appeals is not going to question, I believe, uh, his decision because he knows the record and he knows what the bail conditions are. Thanks again for joining us this morning. I wanted to ask about the significance of being able to prepare for what's coming in October while in jail. How difficult is it? How difficult is it to talk with your lawyer or with your client during that period? Is this a huge disadvantage now going into October? It is a huge disadvantage uh, because there are, from what I've read uh, and heard, there are innumerable documents, many, 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 perhaps millions of documents uh, that the government is required to turn over to Mr. Blankenfried's uh, uh, counsel. And having had clients who are incarcerated and not being able to make bail, it is very difficult in a paper case such as this to uh, prepare for trial. The facilities at the Metropolitan uh, uh, MBC Brooklyn uh, Center where he's being held, um, very, very difficult. Uh, to uh, to prepare, uh, but this is something that uh, I have no doubt his lawyers spoke to him about, and I'm just speculating, uh, and said, if you stay out, it'll be much easier to prepare for trial. If you're incarcerated, it's very difficult. Uh, the facilities are uh, bad. The, um, uh, there is privacy, uh, but uh, to load in all the documents and all the information that the government is required to turn over, to his lawyers, it is going to make it very difficult for him to prepare. But it's done. There are a number of people who don't make bail, but it's done. It just makes it a lot more difficult to prepare. I want to talk about these diary entries. They feel like the straw that broke the camel's back here. 
Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's attorneys say that he wasn't trying to tamper with witnesses, that he they confirmed he did leak a few pages of the diary to the New York Times. Could this come come back? Could it be brought up again once this does go to trail in October? And how might it affect his case? It, it won't affect it at all. The fact that he disclosed information to the Times or to any media, let's make it general media, it's not going to affect the trial at all. It affected his bail, obviously, but it's not going to affect the trial. Uh, what he turned over, we don't know. Uh, I don't know whether the Times, public, Times has published it or intends to publish it, uh, but there are First Amendment and freedom of press issues uh, involved in that. And uh, I'm old enough to remember um, the uh, Pentagon Papers case and uh, Daniel Ellsberg, and uh, that didn't stop um, the disclosure of information that, that came to the press, but it didn't affect the trial and it won't affect the trial here either. I have a question for you. Uh, myself and a lot of other people are speculating that Sam will be given special treatment because he comes from a family with a lot of influence and money. Do you th- think that that is something that we will see play out, that he will be segregated away from the other inmates and he will receive special treatment while incarcerated? The, the short answer is no. He may be segregated. Often um, defendants who are uh, have some notoriety are separated. But the short answer is no. I don't believe he's going to get any special treatment in jail. Jail is not a very nice place, particularly the uh, Metropolitan Correctional Center in Manhattan, which is closed, and the Brooklyn Correctional, Correctional Center, uh, which is uh, uh, open. And uh, he, he will not be given any special privileges And certainly the uh, facilities do not consider uh, the success or wealth of the family or those who put up bail. Question for you. So you worked clearly with uh, the Bernie Madoff case, and that was the the last major alleged fraud to have captured headlines of this magnitude. Based on your understanding of the Sam Bankman-Fried, the FTX, Alameda case, do you think that this is also a Ponzi scheme or do do you see key differences? I, I don't really know. I mean, I don't know the case. I only know what I've read in uh, the press. It appears that uh, from what the press said and what the indictment says, that money was taken out and used for purposes other than what was told to the investors. Uh, but that's not unusual in Ponzi schemes. It's not unusual in stock fraud schemes. It's not unusual uh, in um, uh, mail fraud and the like. Uh, the crimes for which he's been charged, conspiracy as well, or when you boil it all down, it's uh, pretty run-of-the-mill in terms of what it's alleged that he engaged in. Uh, the magnitude in terms of the dollars, of course, and the amount of money alleged uh, makes it a bigger case. And of course, because it's crypto, uh, that's uh, of greater interest to the public. But certainly, the statutes for which he was indicted, they are standard stuff in most white-collar crimes. I want to go back to the money, which you just referred to there. This has been a very expensive case, not only looking at like the Chapter 11 restructuring with the FTX estate right now, but also from the SBF side of things. When you're looking at the past cases you've worked on or you've looked at the information you've seen in the press so far to date, how do you, much do you think this cost, like the cost is for SBF and his team? And what do you expect this to run going into the future? It's a very, very expensive defense. The amount of discovery, uh, the bankruptcy issue, of course, throws another issue into the case. 
in terms of legal fees and experts, it's going to be a very, very expensive uh, defense. You got a ballpark, you got a back of the uh, back of the envelope estimation, if you had to guess? Uh, if I had to guess, I certainly think that it'll run into several millions of dollars at a, safe, at a minimum. Safe bet, safe bet. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. We really appreciate your insights on, again, what uh, a lot of people are watching in the SPF case. So thank you so much. And that was Ira Lee Sorkin, currently a partner at law firm Mints and Gold. We are going to talk about Bald now. I thought we were done talking about this, but here we are. The developer of Meme Token, Bald, sent $12 million back to Ethereum. The token reached an $80 million market cap earlier this month before plummeting 90%. This marks the first time more money was sent out of the base network. That's Coinbase's layer two blockchain. And that is according to Dune Analytics. Will, I'm going to toss this one off to you. What is going on here? Why is this significant? Pretty significant for a few reasons. I think the biggest reason is because what's happening with Coinbase and the SEC. Coinbase is running a flaunt of what the SEC wants it to do, right? There's this ongoing litigation. And while Bald and Coinbase's base L2 is not part of that, it's just to speak to Coinbase's whole strategy. They're interested in onboarding the next 1 million billion users of Web3 products, and they're building it actively while paying for the legal cost for their entire uh, dispute with the SEC out of pocket with their exchange, and they're willing to do that. I mean, I just as a like, developer or someone who like, pays attention to that space is applaud them for pushing forward that. But I think that's like the biggest reason to pay attention to this. Like, there is this whole stuff with the meme coin thing, right? Like it went up like 4 million percent in a few days. That's a crazy, crazy number. But if you look at what they're actually trying to do, like the underpinnings of this from maybe uh, more of like a philosophical idea that we should be able to make permissionless systems and even businesses should be able to launch these things, then that's really where like the bread and butter of the story is at. Exactly. What if the ball deployer is actually Brian Armstrong and he's just like walking the talk on permissionless systems? He's like, yo, base is permissionless. We can't do anything about it. And I'm going to rug you guys just to show you that I am real when it comes to making on-chain finance a thing. That would be it's true. Think about that, though. Think about that, though. I have no, I have no knowledge of that. Is I doubt that's actually, the, that's actually the case. Wrecking is a purity test, huh? I mean, I mean, this is like this is the thing, I right? There was a, that turn in the story. Yeah, there was a headline somewhere this morning. I forget where, but it was like, "Base is permissionless," says Coinbase, right? And I think like that's going to be the test, right? The proof is in the pudding. When things go wrong, that's when you really get to figure out if something is permissionless, right? Coinbase is actually behind the scenes pulling levers and making sure people don't get rugged by the next bald deployer then it's not really like a decentralized base layer on which people can build openly, right? So if they're saying that, hey, this is a permissionless system, bad stuff like this is going to happen, that's going to be like something that happens in on-chain summer. If this indeed does find traction, users, some bad actors are going to be in there too. So yeah, interesting to see. Like I think they've walked the line well and interestingly on, on this, right? Their brand is associated with a permissionless blockchain at the moment. Uh, and I don't think they've been taken to task too hard for what has been sort of a loud uh, blow up even before the public launch was was out there. So, yeah, who knows? Wendy, I think, saw you I sign. Think this, yeah, no, I'm actually, I like, um, I was going to say I like bald, but I like base. And the reason why I like base is because they don't have a token. It is something that people can actually use and build upon. And it kind of seems a little bit decentralized for me. Like I'm, I'm very much liking it. I think that it's really kind of fun that Coinbase took the initial crypto spirit of the meme in and all that stuff and said, hey, we're creating this. You can go ahead and do whatever the heck you want with it. Legally, we don't have a token. We're safe on this end. 
We just created some codes, some tech. You all do what you want, have fun. So hopefully that keeps them safe from the predatory practices of the SEC. So I absolutely love what they did. I think it's fun. I think it really harnesses the ethos of crypto and Bitcoin and true decentralization. And people should be able to build what they want to build when they want to build it, just as long as they're not infringing harm on anyone else. And in addition to that, people deserve to have access to their money 24-7, 365. It's a basic human right in 2023. So even though Coinbase isn't my favorite because they act like more like a corporation and they hold their heads super, super high and kind of look down upon people um, in the industry. But I do like what they've done with this. I think it's super awesome. Just a base fan club over here on the hash today. I think, Zach, your point is really important. It's like another alleyway into crypto university. And if you get rugged in one of these projects, you are paying tuition to crypto university and learning along the way. I have a tweet to read here, which is all the more funny if you think that the person behind the tweet is Brian Armstrong, which it is not. We are just playing along with a fun narrative for the rest of this segment. Bald tweeted recently, if you still decide to trade this token, you will probably lose all your money if you somehow haven't already. This is a meme coin. There is no roadmap. The fundamental value of this token is zero dollars. There is no bald team. Uh, that was part of a Twitter thread. I was about to call it a chain. Wow. A Twitter thread that was released earlier this month. And I think it's important. You know, when, when the base news launched, I think I said, this is great for education. Coinbase is a trusted brand. Maybe it's going to bring people into DeFi that previously were maybe only just using Coinbase as an exchange. And this is an important lesson to learn. So be safe out there, people. Base. I had to make a, I had to make a comment on it really quickly. I love the fact that whoever tweeted that they let you know, Hey, you're probably going to lose all your money. Maybe it is Brian Armstrong. Who knows? It doesn't seem like a meme coin would really tweet something like that ever. In my experience, generally you join the Telegram DGen chats or Discord chats and they're like, the dev has simply passed away. We've taken all your money. And then um, they'll come back and say, do you, Will, do you know who I'm talking about? I know. Ex- well, I know, that has happened. I know exactly what you're talking about, but that has happened many times, right? Where it's like, this program no longer exists. We have all your money. Goodbye. And then we're going to yeah. come back yeah. from life. And once we come back from life, we're going to give you your money. We're going to give some of those funds back. And then we're going to reward a white hat for getting it. And then we're, we're going to use $50 million to pay for this um, transplant heart surgery or something. I don't know, but that is. <laughs> that was the funniest moment in NFT history. <laughs> It makes no sense, right? It, it, it is it is crazy. But this is the philosophical point that this person is trying to state. This is what happens when you have a system that is designed for anyone to do what they want. And that's a great thing. But it comes with these personal responsibilities that people have to take upon themselves. Like, don't be dumb. Don't put your money in something that is just a meme coin that's totally inflated on hype and nothing else. It happens time and time again. But this is someone who's clearly trying to make a point. All right, we got to get into my story. And you guys, I think I'm going to be voting for former President Donald Trump because apparently he is a hodler. According to this story from Coindesk Policy, Donald Trump holds up to $55,000 in crypto. A filing with the U.S. Office of Government Ethics showed that Trump holds approximately $500,000 in an Ethereum wallet. He released a collection of NFT cards last year featuring images of him. I want to say they were on Polygon, though. Someone's going to have to fact check me there. They were 44,000 digital trading cards featuring the former president in different costumes and poses, and they sold out in a couple of hours. In April of 2023, he released another collection, which also sold out fast, and he made between approximately 500,000 and 1 million from this. Um, Previously, of course, I don't have the tweet, but um, Trump had came out, I believe, when he was still on X, saying not great things about Bitcoin. 
But I knew right away when he launched this NFT collection or this digital asset collection, it was kind of going to probably change his trajectory a little bit. I haven't heard the former president come out and say whether he's bullish on crypto or not or where he, um, how he feels about a CBDC and how he intends to essentially regulate it. Um, but if he's a crypto hodler, man, I might just have to vote for him. And on this particular election, I am a single issue voter. I'm voting for whoever is pro crypto or Bitcoin. Because I do firmly believe that if people do have access to more money, they have access to better products and services, and it will help improve their quality of life. And a lot of the social issues that we argue about will still be there, but they will be minimized heavily. The tweets that you're referring to, Wendy, I think in 2019, he tweeted that he wasn't a fan of Bitcoin. And then Anthony Scaramucci came out and said he doesn't believe that the president tweeted it. And then that tweet was deleted. And then I think a year later, he said that Bitcoin was a scam. But we have to remember that this was before him and his wife, Melania Trump, found out about the wonderful world of NFTs and aped in from multiple projects. And so they have a bunch of, of ETH sitting in a wallet. And I'm curious to see what they're going to do with it. I don't want them to hodl it. I want to watch what projects uh, the Trump are aping into and supporting. Will, what do you think? I agree with you. And Wendy, I appreciate the hodler sentiment here, right? That's a big deal for us <laughs> crypto enthusiasts. It is kind of interesting to look at like the Biden administration, which did appoint Gary Gensler and has moved forward with a very anti-crypto bias. And then you look at the other side of the field, it seems like they're mostly pro-crypto uh, from the Republican side of things. It does seem like crypto is becoming more and more partisan. It seems some of the younger Democratic Party members are more pro-crypto, but the establishment right now, as in D.C., is more anti-crypto. And Trump, who has cast himself as a populist time and time again, coming around and starting to embrace crypto and even you know dropping NFTs, that kind of fits his whole narrative as to the past. I think we could see a divide there. And this is like a political issue now, right? Like we've talked about that time and time again on the show. We even had Miami Mayor uh, Suarez on the show a few weeks ago talking about how he's accepting Bitcoin. Big news, right? Well, maybe only slightly because we've kind of gotten used to politicians saying they're going to use Bitcoin at this point. A lot of people hold Bitcoin. so. It's a political issue at this point. I mean, th there's bigger things going on with Trump, right? Like, isn't there like new indictments and like all sorts of stuff? I think no the way. Exactly. the first thing Thank alluded to, like, he's also... <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. like, well, you know what? I'm going to go he's ahead and put it on my tinfoil town. I'm going to put it on because the current administration, the blue people, they don't like crypto. They don't like liberty. They don't want you to have clear guidelines. They just want to go ahead and litigate. And this is proven because they put Gary Gensler into office. Gary Gensler has not done anything to indicate that we're going to get some clear guidelines with any crypto assets. I don't have a problem with um, go litigating people that they've done something wrong. But hey, I feel like this might... I feel like this is all planned, all these indictments, maybe because Trump is pro-crypto, man. Like, who knows? <laughs> I don't know if we can go that, that far, the, Wendy. That is the ultimate <laughs> Tiara moment. The indictments are because of crypto. Ooh. Wendy might be on to something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> pump the maybe brakes. like one of the five are. <laughs> we, need, we need to have some sort of entertainment on this show. Come on. I am just That's a mere true. idiot on the internet. Please. <laughs> It's, well, I mean, these could lead to indictments in the future because a lot of these NFT things are not great, right? Like they're not a great look hey, for anybody. Hey, you know what? It is Trump, Trump and Melania released a digital collectible collection. Okay. Mm. Big difference. Big difference in Gen knows. <laughs> if you don't true. say NFT, it's, it's not an NFT. It's not a token, man. It's, it's just true. a collectible like um, a... <laughs> Like a watch or uh, like a like a pixelated know. foot pick or something. I don't know. 
Make a Trump dinner plate. They love tchotchkes. Those Trumps. Oh, they love go. licensing their images for tchotchkes. They've just done it in the digital realm. That is what it is. Go NFTs. All right. We're going to shut the show down for that one. That's over. That's it for today. It was fun. I'm Zach. We got Wendy. We got Jen. We got Will. We are The Hash. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye. See ya. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 